0: G'day, my name's Martin Murray, and you're listening to the In The Paddock podcast, where we talk all things farming. So I guess this is a bit of a bonus episode, and I just want to take this opportunity to talk to you about a couple of programs that I've seen, and go into what I think is wrong with them, and a couple of just points that I believe they missed, or deliberately excluded. And some of this probably more makes sense in Australian context, one of them was a US program. So anyway, I'll get into it. Over the long weekend, I sat down and caught up on a bit of ABC iview and watched last week's Australian story with Charles Massey and his regenerative farming program on his farm down in the Monero. I also watched Kiss the Ground on Netflix, narrated by Woody Harrelson. Uh, You might remember him from Zombieland 2012 and No Country for Old Men. And despite being a bit of a badass in his movies, in the real world, He's fairly controversial, is probably the best way to put it. He's anti-vax, anti-GM, anti-modern farming. I guess that's, that's the way I'm sort of going with this. But in saying that, I feel like if he was to come to Australia and see the way we farm, he'd be probably more open to it than the type of farming he was portraying in the doco Kiss the Ground. As you can see, they're both on regenerative agriculture. And my issue with regenerative agriculture is that a lot of the practices that they portray as revolutionary and groundbreaking are already standard practice. And, you know, I wouldn't call them modern or groundbreaking. I, I mean, I'd call them conventional farming. They're the benchmark. They're the standard practice, uh, like rotational grazing, zero till, that sort of thing. I think you'll find 99% of Australian farmers are all over it. It's really the only way to farm for those of us that are west of the Great Divide. And, Operating in that limited rainfall environment. We have to conserve our ground cover, we've got to conserve our pasture, we've got to conserve our stubble because we're really farming moisture. We're just trying to build that moisture up, turn it into plant growth, and either turn that into grain or beef or wool or lamb, whatever you're into. And the other group of stuff that comes under that Regen Ag banner I tend to find is a lot of anti science nonsense. You get a whole heap of stuff, anti chemical, anti fertilizer anti you name it you'll find it. I don't know just from that little bit on terminology I don't know whether us conventional farmers, us zero tilling, stock rotating, just regular run-of-the-mill farmers can claim that regen ag banner or whether we should just be promoting it as what it is and just the way to farm. But anyway I'll go into a bit of deeper detail on some of the things they were covering off on during the show. Take cropping for example. Both Charles Massey and Woody Harrelson in Kiss the Ground, was saying that we should move towards zero-till farming. Now, the bit I find interesting about this is, for Australian broadacre farmers, I reckon 99% of us would already be zero-till. We already understand the importance of keeping our stubble, maintaining our ground cover, and making sure that we can serve every drop of moisture that we get. However, my understanding is that in the American context, Zero-till farming is definitely not the norm. From what I gather, and I've never actually been to America, so I couldn't tell you, but from what I've been told, most farmers in America, or at least a large proportion of them, still plough their country regularly, and even recreationally. Got nothing to do on your Sunday, are they? Jump on the plough. So I guess in that sort of situation, it makes sense. And if there's any Americans listening, uh, please tell me I'm wrong. I'd be glad to hear it it's the way to go. I mean just come out to Australia, see what we're doing with zero till and you'll be converted in an instant. But if you're going to move to zero till, you're going to step away from ploughing and maintain those stubbles. You're then got to look at weed control. How do you control your weeds without ploughing them up? Well the obvious answer is you move to herbicides. But that was another thing that both Charles and Woody took issue with and Woody in particular was very harsh in his criticism he made sure to point out the history of a lot of the chemical companies, uh, such as Bayer, that had links to the German Nazi Party and some of the terrible things they were doing over there. But in my mind, that's just as relevant as Hugo Boss providing the uniforms for the SS. Doesn't really mean much today. Does that mean we can excuse what they did at the time? Not really. But at the same time, you shouldn't hold it against the modern company today and the service that they are providing agriculture. And so while that was fairly antagonistic, they didn't really offer an alternative to herbicides to control those weeds in fallow. Now, they did talk about the use of roller crimpers in cover crops, but from a study I was reading last night, because I guess I've got nothing better to do with my time, it showed that the roller crimper was more effective the more mature the plant got. Younger plants tended to bounce back and come back, and it wasn't until the plants were fairly advanced and mature that the roller crimper provided a good kill. And therefore, it doesn't really suit a system where you're trying to conserve as much moisture as possible. Now, that may sort of lead into the notion of cover crops, but I'm going to put a pin in that one for now and come to it shortly. So, really, I still think that we need to be using herbicides to maintain our fallows, and obviously we need to use them responsibly. We don't want to be drifting, we want to be getting all our herbicide on target and we want to be using the correct rates in the correct situation and naturally we also want to be rotating around our actives to prevent resistance. That's one of the big things people tend to throw against GM is the creation of superweeds And that's just a management issue. That's from people not mixing up their actives enough and becoming over-reliant on one herbicide. And that's not necessarily just a GM thing. That's just a crop management thing. And also stock management. You hear of worms becoming resistant to particular actives all the time. It's a bigger issue than just cropping. So with that, I'll just touch briefly on cover crops. We've talked about them before on the podcast, and I'm just a tad sceptical of where they sit in the Australian system. I get the theory, I like the theory. It's a very attractive one. Increase the amount of stuff growing in your soil throughout the year and improve your soil carbon, improve your soil biology, improve the overall soil health. But my problem with it is that in Australia, we're a moisture limited system. And because of that, I suspect any gains you may get from soil biology and improve soil health will be lost through a lack of soil moisture. This is particularly true in a short fallow scenario. However, in a long fallow, coming out of cotton, going to wheat or something the following year, I think there's plenty of opportunity to put in a cover crop, maybe a multi-species, but for me, I'd probably just do a single species, some sort of cereal that's gonna get up quickly, grow a lot of biomass that I can spray it out and then let the fallow begin. And that's where I really see the fit of the cover crop in the Australian system, is being a way to get cover on some Being a way to get cover on some ground that doesn't have a lot of ground cover because it's come out of a pulse or it's come out of cotton or it's come out of canola or something like that and it's got a long fallow. I just don't see the timing stacking up in a short fallow scenario. Say you're harvesting in October, it's going to take three months to get up a crop. November, December, January, spray it out. You've only got February, March, and then you're sowing again in April. It's not enough time to build up a fallow. Saying that, I would like to see some trial work in that space, but I just don't think it would be enough time. Now the other thing they are advocating for, and particularly Gabe Brown in Kiss the Ground, was multi-species cropping. And this is something I've sort of played around in, not so much in the cropping space, but on the livestock forage space. Had a few growers who were mixed farmers, weren't too keen on growing pulses, they considered them fairly high risk, a lot of inputs, lot of risk, and therefore they wanted an alternative that was a bit more set and forget, a bit easier to manage, and a bit lower cost. And so we looked at putting in multi-species forage crops. So we're mixing brassicas with legumes, something like a forage brassica with field pea, vetch, something like that, that gave the, the soil a bit of a break, gave the cattle something a bit different, and it was still high in protein, high in nutrition, and it was still mixing up The plants that were growing in that soil and provided that rotation. So I don't know, I don't know if that makes you a regenerative farmer or best practice or just doing something different but that's the way we were doing it and I guess the same can be said for rotational cropping. Does that make you a regenerative farmer or does that just make you a normal conventional farmer? As crop rotation was both suggested in both shows as a way that a grower can help their soil and improve their soil health. Now the other thing that's essential to soil health is adequate nutrition and both shows suggested rejecting synthetic fertilizers and either going down a no fertilizer just plant health type approach or going to an organic range of fertilizers and now I don't really care where you get your soil nutrition from whether it's synthetic fertilizers whether it's biosolids, animal manure, compost, whatever. The point is, you're exporting nutrients. As long as you're farming something and taking something off your land, whether it's wool, whether it's meat, whether it's grains, you're exporting nutrients. So you need to replace those nutrients. Otherwise, over time, you'll slowly deplete your soil of them. And no matter what anyone tells you, you can't just magically make nutrients appear in your soil through plant diversity or growing hemp or anything like that. The only plant that'll add a nutrient to the soil are legumes and they only add nitrogen. There are countless other nutrients that you can only export out of your soil. And yes, while adding plant growth and organic matter increases your soil carbon, that in itself is not a nutrient, but it does help the soil hold more nutrients, but it still doesn't fix the problem of you exporting nutrients cannot be clearer on that now there's an interesting problem that i don't think either show really addressed and that's the issue of limited synthetic fertilizers see phosphate so your map your dap your super phosphate your main p-based fertilizers all come from rock phosphate originally which is more often than not an island in the middle the pacific that they're just digging up there's only so many of these we're limited in how much phosphate there is and one day we will run out. Same can be said for nitrogen. Although urea is synthetically produced, it's extracted from the air. It's a byproduct of fossil fuel refinery. Now, presumably it will continue into the future, but it is something to be wary of just with things being politically the way they are around global warming and greenhouse gases and all that sort of thing. It may one day no longer be viable or it could be banned outright, and that will be an issue. We will need to find alternative sources of nutrition. But as I said earlier, we do have options through manure, biosolids, and other more organic fertilisers like compost. But at the moment, we're just not efficient enough to make full use of them. However, this is something I'd like to see expanded on into the future. And so that sort of sums up their take on the cropping side of things. The other issue they had was with livestock. In Kiss the Ground there was a heavy focus on emissions and again in the US system most of the uh, beef in the country comes from feedlots. There's not a lot of rangeland grazing like you get in Australia where cattle are just turned free on pastures. They're mainly in feedlots and they're all fed on corn and soy and things like that which is all fairly emissions intensive and was the main point of the argument. However, they did raise a good point, and that is that we should be moving to rotational grazing or cell grazing. And that was something Charlie Massey talked about in his program on Australian Stories. But again, I think most Australian farmers are already there. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a farmer in Australia that sets stock, runs the same stock in the same paddock all year round. I think the message has been pretty well hammered in And farmers do rotate their stock, trying to look after their pastures, trying to look after their ground cover and trying to prevent certain species that tend to be unplattable becoming dominant in their pasture stands. It's very similar to the zero-till situation. Something that they're advocating for as regenerative and best practice, when really in my mind, it's standard practice in Australian agriculture already. So I don't know, does that make us regenerative? Or does that just make us your standard flat pack farmer? And this leads right into the issue of ground cover. Just like in cropping, in pasture you're trying to conserve as much moisture as you can and convert that into plant growth and take that away as beef or wool or whatever you're into. So when we go through an extended dry period, just like we did in the last three years, you saw a lot of farmers destock. And if they didn't destock everything, they destocked the bulk of their herd and fed the rest. And a lot of these growers, if they didn't destock everything and they kept a few head, they tend to confine them to a drought pen and feed them in this pen. So you're just sacrificing a small area of dirt, leaving as much ground cover as possible and the rest of it. Now in some areas we saw that pasture that was locked up and protected still got hammered out by kangaroos and other native wildlife and I guess to an extent they've got a right to eat too. I can guarantee they were still better off being grazed by them than they were been flogged out by sheep and cattle. And again, I think most Australian farmers are onto this. Now, there are some that, you know, are probably better at it than others and some that when they were drought lotting, they were performance feeding, whereas others were maintenance feeding. And that's, I guess, just a different management style and possibly something we can explore a bit later on in the podcast by getting on an animal nutritionist or something like that. But for the most part, farmers were doing the right thing they were destocking. they were managing their herds, and they were conserving their pasture. Of course, it was the odd one that didn't, and they tended to get all the attention, end up on sunrise, today, tonight, front page of the Telegraph. And while some of these fellas tar us all with a bad brush, I think the bulk of Australian farmers are doing a cracking job, and did do a cracking job, to manage their stock successfully through the drought. Because at the end of the day, conserving that ground cover is important. And I guess that's really what the regenerative agriculture crowd are on about. They're on about having living plant matter in the soil at all times. And if you can't do it at all times, be as close to that as possible. And so if we're managing our country for ground cover, if we're rotationally grazing, we're cell grazing, we're zero till farming, maintaining a good fallow, maintaining stubble cover, are we all regenerative farmers or are we just regular farmers that happen to use these regenerative practices? and I know the hardcore regenerative ag guys will say we're certainly not because we still use fertilizer and chemical and yada 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 but maybe we're just trying to use the same techniques to achieve a different outcome whereas some of us are more interested on maintaining that ground cover that essential ground cover to build soil moisture and capture every drop of rainfall and convert that moisture into grass, and that grass into grain, or beef, or wool, or whatever. Whereas the regenerative crowd are using that ground cover to maintain and build soil biology, which they believe is doing a similar thing, and of course biology is important, and if you want to find out a bit more, check out the Wednesday Tech Talk from I think two weeks ago. We talked about it then. So I don't know, I guess that was just my spiel on a couple of shows. To me, they could be a bit antagonistic. They probably weren't looking at the full picture of what it takes to be a productive farmer in this modern world. And they probably weren't giving us enough credit where it was due. And I know one of them was heavily focused on the American system. And as I've said, I've never been there, so I can't really comment. I'm just running off what I've seen and what I've heard from other people. It's all secondhand knowledge. But I believe that I guess we're doing it much better in Australia, I think because we're in such a harsh country, such a harsh system. We are moisture limited. We are forced to farm as efficiently as possible and therefore are doing the best job we can with as little moisture as we can. And for that reason, ground cover is king. And that's why we direct drill, we rotationally graze, we try and maintain those great pasture stands. As i said to me old man who's got a bit of grazing country, ideally you need troughs in every paddock because i never want to see a dam fill i want such a good pasture stand that when we get a storm when we get rain it all goes in the ground none of it runs off that's what you're aiming for in pasture and really i think in cropping you're aiming for something similar you want to be capturing every drop you can into that soil you don't want it running off your paddocks anyway that's my take let me know what you think hit me up on instagram linkedin TikTok, Twitter, wherever you can find me, I'm very reachable. Also, if you've got a suggestion for a Wednesday Tech Talk or even a longer podcast, hit me up. I'm keen to hear it and we'll see what we can do about getting it covered. Now, please remember that while I'm an agronomist, and agronomy is my day job, I'm not your agronomist. So get your own independent advice before acting on what you've heard here today. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep at it.